called it loon shit. It's just that freaking greasy top layer on those northern roads. But I froze my bag off. Like I had every piece of clothes on inside my Everybody, welcome back to Come Out Heavy. Uh, it's good to be back recording again with Kurt. Um, pretty excited about our episode today. We'll dive into who we got on later. And Kurt, how you been doing lately? Pretty good, man. A uh, little jealous watching all the guys coming back from the opener stone sheep hunt with a couple, couple nice big rams I've seen posted just about every day now. So, uh, congratulations to all those guys and. Definitely a little bit of jealousy going on in my household right now, seeing all those posts. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely jealousy. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it's good for them. And there's been a couple of fucking crankers. I think one guy we follow out of BC, they had a doubleheader, and his post was like two rams down, 12 hours in. I'm like, fuck. Like, that's a... That's like feet, right? Then they were nice rams too, but completely different. I think if you remember looking at them, one was really nice, like good twister and like kind of tight. And then the other one was like wide. So yeah, um, pretty cool to see that on a double header. Nice. So. Yeah. Different genetics, eh? It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's pretty wicked. Guys who've shared some of their success with us. That's been uh, sweet to see. We, we get jealous when we see it, but uh, you know, congrats to these guys, you know, getting their first rams or, or whatever it's it's sweet so send them our way we love to see it you can uh send the in reach pin too uh, yeah. just to make sure you're good good and safe yeah. there make sure you got your uh, gps turned on your coordinates turned on so uh <laughs> yeah we know where you're safe and sound but yeah i know i had a a young guy here in town got his first stone and i was congratulating him kind of chit-chatting today and he's like yeah fucking left off the highway came out heavy i'm like nice buddy nice <laughs> Uh, I think if, if you've never got up there and then when uh, if you've heard those that term in our podcast on it and then you go up there it's like oh yeah that's doesn't it makes more sense but it's not that clever <laughs> yeah I don't think there's too many sheep east of the highway that's for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> of the certain highway yeah yeah it's good uh, as always we like to thank some of our uh, sponsors and guys who support us and with fuck August middle of August now so crunch time to get any gear going and frontiersman gear you got to check them out if you're first time listener you never heard of them you know get on the socials follow tanner instagram is a good place to follow him he's posting stuff all the time i know he's going to be busy all fall we're hoping to get him lined up and on here for one more sesh before hunting season this year and then yeah he's going to be gone so i would hit him up if you guys are looking for any you know knives last minute here before hunting season or any of the other stuff he's gotten uh in stock right now i bet you he's getting low on a lot of items oh i think and it's always that summer rush where everyone's trying to get ready to go on the 
for the, the opener sheep or getting geared up for an elk hunt or something. And yeah, he's, he seems to sell out pretty fast every time he does a, a knife drop. I think it lasts like seven hours, eight hours and he's fucking got them all sold. So, uh, he definitely got to stay on his page and pay attention when he does those, like the mountain series drops, like they fucking go like wildfire. So jump on it when you see it. And he's always doing raffle giveaways too, for some pretty like one, one of a kind knives and stuff. So keep an eye out for that. And even his leather works, right? Like he's, he's pumping out all kinds of shit now and you know, it's to the best of quality. Yeah, and then uh, another shout-out to Fat Maps and all the guys and girls who've been hitting us up with messages asking for uh, 30 days to try out. You know, everyone's like, fuck, you guys talk so much about it. I want to try it. Send it, you know, our way. So we still have that available. So if you're looking just to see what it's all about in, like, a full version, hit us up. Uh, direct message, Instagram's probably the easiest. I, I respond to that quicker than anything. But email works, too. Uh, Facebook could work. It doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, just ask for it. Say you listen to us, like in the show, whatever. And we'll hit you up with the link and then you get you guys to try it. And keep an eye out with Fat Maps too. We're going to look at doing a, a one-year membership giveaway over the next week here. So probably be some kind of draw through our social media. So Instagram would be the best place to watch out for that. And uh, yeah, win yourself a, a free year. I mean, like we've said before, it's not a monster purchase for your year, but if winning one, it would be pretty sweet too. So, and uh, I would recommend getting in on that draw. Yeah, and like I, I talked to lots of my buddies too, and that don't have it, or like I was today looking with Tornado on his phone because they just got back from a sheep hunt, and he's on Google Earth, and I was looking at the same thing on Fat Maps, and he's like, "Fuck, that's that's fucking way better." I said, "I know it's way better. Why aren't you using it, man?" Like. Come on, teenado, figure it out, bud. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, like that's it's a little hack. I don't know if Fat Maps wants us to say this, but like I got it, gave Devin Devin my password. He logs into mine. We share the same fucking pins when we go hunting. So it's on whatever I drop or whatever he drops pops up on my phone every time I go on it. For you and your hunting partner, you can save yourself a lot of grief trying to match the same pins, like. You just log in and it's everything's fucking there. So it's funny because Devin will drop new pins and I'll be like, where the fuck is this pin? And then I'll go and he'll like write something stupid on the fucking label of it, right? But uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny, but it's, it's fucking a little hack that maybe yeah. Fat Maps doesn't want you to know, but it, it works pretty good yeah, with your well, hunting they, partners. They, they probably don't listen to the pod, our podcast, most so it's fine. <laughs> most likely not. But yeah, I mean, it's fucking 30 bucks, 40 bucks. Fuck get off your fucking wallet skip skip the mcdonald's meal and fucking get fat maps for the year it's fucking there worth you it. go that is a good way mcdonald's meal for the families one year's fat maps yeah yeah, yeah well and you know kind of speaking about hacks i mean this episode today uh it was probably you know one of the most excited i've been to record a pod um our guest and, and we'll kind of touch on who he is a bit here as we talk about it but uh if you haven't heard of him and we kind of explain it in the start of the interview uh his name's paul Mandel, and in the elk hunting world he's known as the elk nut and if you're an elk hunter and don't know who he is then you need to know who he is and when i say hack it's like it's one of those guys and the knowledge he comes with and the experience he's come with that 
when Kurt and I landed on Paul years ago, his app, his podcast he's done, it was like this little nugget of wisdom that turned into like all these other nuggets. And I feel like it's a hack and it's hard to even release this stuff. And he just, he just gives it away. He just, he just enjoys talking elk hunting and giving away all these little secrets and a little bit of you inside. Like it's all that, like kind of keep it to yourself thing. You're kind of like, fuck, I don't know, but it is a really good listen and fuck, it was great to talk to him. And I mean, I really, really enjoyed it and I'm excited to listen to it again, to be honest. Yeah. I haven't listened to it since, well, since we recorded it. So it'll be interesting. But if, when Devin and I started this, shit show almost two years ago actually in october it'll be two years which is kind of fucked up to think about it um one of the first things we said because like when i first heard him on a podcast i told Devin, i'm like this guy like he spills the beans on everything and i was like hush hush i'm like don't fucking tell anybody like i i fucking i listened to some of those episodes probably 200 times that's not even a joke i would listen to it going out to the bush in the morning in the dark every time i went out elk hunting when I go down to the Kootenays, I'd listen to it like on three times over in my 10 hour drive, like on repeat. And I would memorize, I'd have notes. And like the first year that we implemented his tactics, boom, I killed my first elk in like it's 14, 15 year drought, right? Same year, Devin <laughs> kills a fucking monster. Matt kills Vegas another one, killed. right? Yeah. Like that's three bulls in the same year using the same tactics. I know a local guy up here, he's been using it in two bowls, two years in a row too. Like, and I, when I was telling people, I'm like, oh, you got to listen to this. And I was like, really hesitant to who I told. Cause like I, I reference it in the interview. I'm like, this is the Bible of elk hunting. Like he, his fucking app and how he breaks down scenarios and what you do. And basically understanding what the bull is saying and how to react to it. And it's like fucking you got them on a goddamn string. Like that bull oh, I killed came in downwind, looking right at us, wind right to his nose. And like yeah, within downwind. 20. wind. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the wind checker. And we weren't even calling at that one. That was just one so curiously hooked. Yeah. Because of what we were doing was so organic and real. And, and Kurt and I, by no means, we still are not. Like when you're talking experts of this, Paul is on another level of. And he even says it like he'll he'll say it like he puts himself on another level of understanding elk. I don't think there's there's probably two other guys in the entire North American like, hunting that would understand elk as well as him, and they have kind of similar platforms. But yeah, I put him like top just because it works. Yeah, yeah, it's I don't. It's hard to like explain if you've never, I guess, dove into elk hunting as hard as you know our friends have and we have. But there's stuff there for beginners. I mean, we talk maybe a little bit more advanced elk strategies, so we're already you know in the know. So maybe some, but you gotta listen, and you might have to listen to it again because there's stuff in there. Like, like Kurt said, I'll listen to the same episode every August. Well, the same like four episodes. Ours might become one of those episodes because there's gonna be stuff in this episode that we touched on that I don't remember he said, and I'm gonna have to like learn it. Like I, it's just that good, and it's the month of Paul in August for me prepping for september i like i just i try to get paul medell's podcast on as much as i can yeah and like so I, I, where i was going before i started rolling on a different tangent back there but i was saying like we thought when we started like man paul medell would be great to have on like he was one of the first names that came up when we started this podcast we're like that is a guy like greg McHale was one of those guys 
Paul Medell was one of those guys. Like, you know, like he's just, it's fuck for me. He changed fucking elk hunting for me. Like you, you live in Mecca, Dev. Like it's, you know, you're you're into elk no matter what. I'm fuck. It's hard hunting around here, and it's crazy how taking his notes and his tactics and turning around and having two back to back years of success. Like one was with you calling for me and the next one was me solo. Like it was, it's fucking mind boggling how well it worked. Like jaw dropping how well it worked. Or how many things you realize you've done wrong over the years. So any elk hunters that are listening to this episode and I know you will be, you're going to be like, fuck, like I've done that. And that's why now it makes so much sense why the elk left or why I stayed in one spot and they didn't come in. Um, and guys talk about overcalling and all this crap. It's, it's not even relevant in this, with the stuff that Paul brings up. Like it, after you listen to this one, and I hope you guys take a lot out of it, you'll probably listen to it again. And then you should go. And if you enjoyed it and you, there's now there's probably like 50 of them out there that are just packed full of even more. And I, I listen to them and I find, you know, a lot of it is similar, but then I find like. 10 minutes of Paul and it's something I never heard before because someone else asked a question just the right way and it pulls out just another nugget and you're like what the fuck yeah that makes sense like uh, it's wild and I, and I think that's why we enjoy it it makes elk hunting like more enjoyable if you're already passionate with elk hunting probably because of the calling and the interaction well now you might get it to the point where that interaction is more intense it's more common you feel like you're actually understanding what you did wrong in a day. I like that. Like you're like, I fucked that up because of that. And I should have done this. And that's overanalyzing everything. But now the analyzing actually has some backing to it. Cause someone with, I think he talks about it on here, his group, you know, they've killed 250 elk in 30 years or something. Like it's, it's a mind boggling number. Yeah. And that's, that's not going to ranches or private land. That's public land over the counter tags in idaho which is a tiny little fucking units in there like it's a sliver compared to bc and like yeah there's lots of elk there but there's fucking people from all over the u.s going there to hunt elk like and he's you know he's not going deeper or farther than anyone else he's just like he he says he wants to call every elk not whether it's a big bull little bull you know raghorn doesn't matter he's like if there's a bull there i want to call it in and see what it looks like like the, the guy has gone out and lived with elk and understood like their fucking vocabulary it's yeah you're just gonna have to listen because it's it's the fucking bible for sure yeah well i mean if you guys aren't pumped up to to hear some real elk hunting knowledge and get a pen and paper out or whatever because this episode's worth it and and we're excited to bring it to you guys and we're excited to listen to it again uh you know without uh going on any more about them uh, we give you Paul the Elk Nut Medell. Okay, well, I got to hold back the excitement of introducing our next guest. And uh, it gives me, uh, I guess, it comes with great honor and pleasure. And if you don't know who this is and you are an elk hunter, then you should. And if you do know who it is and you're an elk hunter, then you're probably already listening up. Uh, Paul Medell, the Elk Nut, welcome to Come Out Heavy. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I, I appreciate the offer, and heck, I can always talk elk, no problem there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that's uh, why we're so excited for the show, is just to sit down with you and pick your brain over 
how many years now have you been in the elk woods uh, pursuing them and learning and, and developing your systems? Well, I don't know if it's a system. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just elk <laughs> hunting and learning from the elk themselves. It's not like theory or something, you know, that I dreamt up. It's, I mean, I learned actually from the elk, but I've been doing it over 40 years. But as a bow hunter, this will be my 32nd year. So I had rifle hunted prior to that. And uh, so, yeah, a little over 40 years of beating the brush like you guys do. <laughs> well, can you give us just a little bit of background? Like, I'm sure every one of our listeners has heard of you, but if for some reason they're living under a rock and <laughs> haven't heard of you. Can you just give us a little bit of rundown, like how, where you grew up, your background in hunting, and how you started the elk nut? Well, I had no background in hunting uh, as far as uh, family, parents, or uncles, anything. Uh, no, I came from a non-hunting area and a family, and which was in California. And uh, so it never really entered my mind uh, at all, whether it was birds or, uh, you know, uh, big game animals. Uh, kind of we touched on a little bit. We talked uh, previous to the starting of this. And uh, it actually started when I was about 12 years old, uh, watching Bell Lang on the Outdoorsman channel, where I actually saw whoopperwills uh, singing across these big, uh, uh, vast lakes. And then it would start with, then a bugle would come in. I don't know if anybody remembers this. This is like 50 years ago, <coughs> black and white TV. And uh, on the very first episode, it touched something in me what i have no idea it's like somebody putting their finger on you and there was something something magical maybe like what happened to spider-man i don't know but it was just something that that uh it, it it was ingrained it was serious it was like something opened up and, and and it was from that day on that i took an interest in hunting seriously but for some reason it was the elk and i had lived i lived nowhere near elk and so once i got into uh, my 20s I realized that I need to do something about this and so I took a trip to Idaho and this is where I've been ever since uh, in the state of Idaho uh, I did go back and forth to California a couple of times work-wise trying to get myself ingrained here in, in Idaho where the elk were and just like everybody else I fumbled around and made huge mistakes of course there was no internet there was nothing out there to teach you about elk hunting zero and what guys did know anything about it not only were they not willing to share, but as time went on and I started understanding things and, and being around the elk, I realized that most of these people didn't know nothing anyway. They really didn't. I mean, they weren't that successful. It was like they bumbled into an elk and got one. And, and so I, I just felt there had to be something better than that. And, and so basically I started to, to, to listen to the elk and be out in the woods with them when the seasons weren't open. And that's where I gained all my 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 mental uh, alertness from them and understanding the language that there was a language first of all, not to go out there to say, oh, I need to know their language. It didn't even dawn on me. It was more of a just wanting to be around them. And then I started realizing all these different sounds after being out there for so long, day after day after day after day, and I mean day after day too. And I'd be out there at two or three in the morning. I would stay out there with them. Then I'd have to go get back to my rig, which would be a mile or two away, and go all the way home. And this went on for quite a few years of me just being so enthralled with it. And that, of course, I had to get back to work, but I did this anyway. And 
one day, years and years ago, my wife, I got home and she says, what is the matter with you? She says, you are an elk nut. And that's where I got the name, right there. That's where it came from. And so ever since then, I've, I've, I was born that name back then. Of course, it was, I know it was even before 25 years ago, but that's where it came from. And it just kind of hung and, and stuck to me. And as we ended up making videos and this and that, because people saw the success my son and I were having, we were killing elk every year with our bows. And they just started going, wow, how are you guys doing this? I mean, my son would kill one, then two, then three, then 17 in a row, then 19 in a row, 21 in a row, uh, and not missing, and all over the counter. That's all we hunt over. And I was killing them too. But just showing that we were taking these, even my son when he was 12, he never missed. He killed them every year. And, and being there, and, and, and to date, he's taken 29 with a bow. And I've called every one of those elk in. And, and, and to me, that is so special. It is incredibly special, something that you could never plan out, you know, when he was a, a youth or even as I was growing up. It just kind of happened. And, and, and so it's all kind of come up to this uh, point in time, you know, 2022, that everybody has seen the success we've had and, and shared it with others. And we've had several other guys come in. We, they were part of the Elk Nut crew. There was actually five of us. And, and now we've taken, I think, over 240 bulls in the last 32 years. And this is what we've taken, and this is also calling them in for others that is part of that number. But it, that's an incredible over-the-counter number. And a lot of people just wonder, how do you do it? Because there's so much pressure out there. And we do hunt with a lot of pressure, let me tell you. Uh, more probably more than most people hunt in their units in the, in the zone I hunt in Idaho and that's how you have to hunt you don't it's not statewide you have to choose a zone that you can hunt and last year we had 6,300 hunters in that zone uh, that bought tags because it's over the counter it's, so we're j just kind of go giving you an idea of the competition that's out there and so it, it it's that much more important guys you need to understand the communication of the elk if you think you're going to walk out there and just give some cow calls and bugles and rattle on and on and, and really don't have an idea of the tone or the emotion you're using to send the message, you're going you're gonna to eat a lot of tags, even if you're a great caller of elk sounds. But if you don't understand the message you're sending or hearing, it really doesn't mean anything. You actually have to get lucky. Or you better be a spot and stalker. Or you better just sit a tree stand on great locations, travel routes, uh, escape routes, water sources, bedding uh, to and from, you know, feed. I mean, that's what you got to do. And I've done it all. I've, there's, there's no way I haven't killed an elk. I, I've killed elk in every imaginable scenario there is. And with almost every weapon. The only one I haven't killed them with was a recurve because I haven't ever picked it up. I, I've killed several with a longbow, uh, four of them with a longbow, and the rest with, with, I've killed a bunch with a muzzle loader when we had a tag, but most of them all with a compound. And my son's the same way. He's taken four with a, with a three with a recurve, one with a longbow, the rest all with a, with a, a compound. And he's taken some with a rifle too, but I'm not counting those. We would count the <laughs> bow hunt ones. And, and again, these are all over-the-counter elk. These are not draw units or anything special or private. So, so what I really, the reason I throw those numbers out there is I want people to understand that they can do it too. And the only reason we're able to do this is because we're understanding the sound so well that we, 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 we are playing on every bull that we come across. There's none of this one out of eight comes in. I mean, we are doing everything 
to when we target an elk that guy's in trouble generally he's coming in and 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 we have to be specific uh with the sounds of use because every elk is different yeah we'd love to just say you all you have to do is walk out there and cow call and challenge him or challenge no cow call or cow calls only or bugles only. it doesn't work like that because these elk are flesh and blood like you and i and i probably said this on every podcast i've ever given because it's so true they have personalities they're individuals so when you come across an elk you have to gauge and measure what is it going to take that's going to bring this elk in is it curiosity is it testing his manhood and, and i say he a lot because we don't shoot cows and spikes and stuff like that it's usually a five or six on over-the-counter hunts and and that's what our target animals are this you know at these days I mean, when you take so many elk, you usually will raise the bar a little bit. You don't want to shoot something else or your hunt's going to be over real quick. And so. Well, and that's, uh, well, I kind of wanted to. Yeah, go ahead. Tie into something there, Paul. Um, When you say you got to raise the bar and move on to that, kind of give you a scenario of one of the seasons and regulations we face up here in British Columbia in a pretty large area for elk hunting. One of the large areas probably in the province uh, that a lot of guys go to. It's where I hunt uh, all the time. It's where Kurt will come down in in our region here. And one uh, regulation we have is six point bull or greater. Mm -hmm. So that is already the target animal is gonna be, you know, something of that magnitude or at least in that maturity range. So similar terrain too, to kind of paint the picture, like really thick, Mm -hmm. steep country, which works well with calling. if you had to tell the listeners the best strategy to go after these larger bulls in that kind of country, kind of, can you lead into that? Yeah, there is no best strategy. Uh, you know, honestly, there is none. There's no such uh, a term or phrase because you should be taking advantage of almost every situation you get into. This is how you learn. Call in the lesser ones. Call in the cows. Bolster confidence. Showing you that, man, these sounds work. This is incredible. A lot of times I'll see cows leaving an area, you know, three, four, five, we, where we hunt. You're lucky if you see, if I hunt 24 days here in Idaho, I might see seven or eight elk with my eyes. That's it. You, it's that thick. It's heavy timber, very steep, benchy. And so we don't have these big open parks and sagebrush and in the areas that I that I frequent. And I and I I do this purposely because I'm a caller. And so I don't really care about a lot of open country. I've spot and stalked them and killed them. I had nowhere near the adrenaline rush. It was still fun, don't get me wrong, but it's nothing like calling where you're beating them at their own game and especially in their own area and over the counter. But if so, I target five and sixes, and 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 really, I could say that's the same thing you're doing. Even though it can't be a five, I understand. So what I'm doing mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm looking uh, to to have something of a more mature bull, I start targeting them with my sounds. All right. So I'm not going to use sounds or sequences that are going to be more apt to bring in the unwanted and that's what i always call them the unwanted i don't want cows and i don't want spikes and i really try to stay from the raghorns away i I keep them at bay so there are sounds and there are you know tactics of use that i prey on right there that generally speaking the odds are in my favor that i am going to target a more mature bull and so if i'm going to things like the cow party or blind cold calling or even breeding sequence i'm usually going to bring a five point or less in and the reason being is it, it, it draws on the curiosity of elk. 
how and and how many more cows and spikes and rags are there out there more than six points a lot so that's going to be your fan club coming in so if you want to get rid of that fan club then what you do is you start using tactics even though there's not just one you start using tactics that target the more mature bulls and 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 and, and bugling by far uh, I've killed probably mostly six points. So has my son. We've killed a little bit of everything, but out of the out of the elk that we've killed, there's no doubt that 45 to 50 of them are definitely six points, and and some of them are six by sevens. And 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 what the way we're doing that is we usually will 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 make sure that we're either using uh, like an advertising sequence, or we can actually go into a really strong high adrenaline breeding sequence. Or we can, which is kind of similar to the thread. If you remember the old thread I used to share years ago, or you just go straight into the slow play. The slow play will develop, and the slow play again, it's a design for a specific animal, specific bull, a, a specific attitude that he's exemplifying at that time, which is very low key, but yet I know he's a good mature bull. And so I have to play, play on him, which you guys, I'm sure, have heard of the slow play, is I have to play on his manhood, his testosterone level, and try to convince him I have a hot cow there. Even though, and I think this is the hardest things for younger hunters to understand. And when I mean young hunters, I mean uh, young hunters in how many years have you hunted elk and how many elk have you killed. It, and, and, and that is a young hunter in their mind is because maybe they haven't killed 15 bulls or 12 bulls or whatever. If you haven't killed at least 10, you're learning. You have a ton to learn. You really, unless you've killed 10 in a row and you just started, that's pretty dang good. But there is not many people on earth that can make that statement on, on hunting over the counter. No way. And, and, and so what I'm doing is, is, is I'm trying to look for the bull that's going to uh, be defensive. Anytime I get a defensive bull, guess what? He's, I mean, I'm going to say 95 out of 100 is a six point. So I want a bull that's going to get defensive on me. And how do, why does a bull get defensive? Because he's protective. What is he protective over? So these are the things you have to know. You can't just guess out there. A bull's protective over two things. His piece of ground, and he can be protective over the ladies during the rut. Other than that, what else is he going to protect? Nothing. Zero. There is nothing out there. He doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have anything else out there, you know, uh, material possessions. There's nothing there to, to protect or have insurance on. And so what we're praying on or playing on, both apply, is if he is not being very vocal and yet I can catch him about 9.30 on, I know I have him in his bedding area. So what I'm trying to do is I will move around these areas and try to get a rise out of him because if another bull, an intruder bull, gets anywhere too close to his bedding area, he will sound off and he will be defensive with it. So you see, now if you got a raghorn bull and there's three or four or five little satellites or whatever and they're in an area and, and I was to, to give a bugle, so I'm going to go ahead and give a bugle, okay? So... And, and, and yeah. I would bugle, and I'm looking, I'm looking to get a response from an elk that's going to tell me to get the crap out of there. That's what I'm looking for. But sometimes I'll get an answer like this. I may, I may bugle like this. <whistles> and, 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 and nothing fancy. I'm not grunting and chuckling, doing all kinds of sounds. I'm just hitting that high note and just kind of winding down with kind of a... 
and mo and me and many times if you're anywhere near elk with an earshot they will respond back i don't mean they come running to you they just respond back now if i get a response like this i have really little interest in him because i already know that's not a mature bull and and a lot of times they may even give a few chuckles things of that nature in your case you you can only kill six points now just to get the confidence built up i would call that bull in if it was me uh these days i still do it just to play around with them because i i, I want to still maintain that confidence of myself that i still have it type of thing and so i'll work that bull and try to suck him in but what i'm looking for is this bull when i'm singing out and i get anywhere near a mature bull whether he has hot cows or not and i can already tell by the day whether there's a hot cow in the presence before i do anything because if there's a hot cow there's a bunch of bulls bugling and they're competing for that hot cow and they're trying to call her away from him and and, and some of them might even get in close and challenge the herd bull you see but the, so i don't have to worry about finding them. i already hear them but most of the time on over-the-counter hunts <laughs> that does not take place i mean i can hunt 24 days and maybe have two days like that if i hit those two days right most of the time nothing i mean nothing i'll go four or five days without ever hearing an elk nothing you just don't know but if i just wanted to call an elk in oh i could do it no problem I'll just go straight to the cow party or something of that nature and set up, and I'm going to pull them in. But am I going to pull in six points? Most likely not. I'm going to pull all the lesser ones in because there's so many of them, so many more of them, that they come in first. It doesn't mean a six point won't come in, but when the other ones beat them in and then start circling you and they keep looking for these elk, they usually spot you or wind you, and off they go, and there goes that big bull that might have been slipping in too, and he hardly is ever the first one that comes in. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. But so when I'm out there and I'm giving a location bugle, and a lot of time that is what I'm using, I, I, I'm looking for this. And that's what I'm looking for. I mean, this guy is telling me to get the crap out of this. It's not a happy, welcoming uh, a response back and so i'm looking for anything that might be similar to that of course it's not going to be identical uh, but the point is is i can tell the defensive action in his voice and the minute i get that right there i know he's either protecting uh, his cows or his territory and i can tell you we kill way more six points from the bull that's protecting or defending his piece of ground that he's claimed to his for 10 days, two weeks, whatever, unless something pushes them out. Well, before we get too far ahead, I just, for anyone that's listening and hears Paul's talk about the sequences, the breeding sequence, um, the cow party, that's all on his app, the Elk Nut app. Just get that out of the way right now. If you go download it, do whatever, because that's where that's where all the secrets are. are <laughs> there is away. more than secrets. But it's just incredible in case people how much weren't. is on there. And oh, the it's... new additions that will be in this yeah. month at the end of the month. It's uh, it's phenomenal. It will it will assist anybody. It really will. It, it's the elk hunting Bible, to honest to God. <laughs> like it's so anyways, continue on. I just wanted in case people were wondering what you were, were referring well, to and, with the sequences. So and I, I have a question right away for like so a bull responds to you like that, and, and it happens to us. Um, we definitely need to interpret that as quickly as we can and understand the next action. Do you have um, like a timing or 
an amount of time before you need to move or spawn like is there like i know you gotta you can't wait too long like how do you go through that when and how would you suggest people thinking about those situations when they don't have quite as much of experience and you hesitate and and that's a really good question uh that's why you need to know where you're at. And that's why these videos that we just put on the ElkNet app are going to be just a home run. Because we actually go over those exact questions. Because I get those a lot. And so I cover mm -hmm. that. And, and, and so guys who are out there listening right now, don't worry about taking a bunch of notes. Just get the app and you're going to have it right there at your fingertips. And you're going to watch those little 10-minute clips. I think we put almost 30 videos on there. And there is one on this uh, subject you're talking about. But... You have to understand the situation you're dealing with when when you finally get that response, all right? And what this means is, where's the elk? That's what I have to know in my mind. So I'm evaluating the situation I instantly. If it's a half hour after daylight, I know that if I'm going to kill that bull right where he is, I have to put instant pressure on him. Time is of the essence. Why? He's leaving that area. He's going to leave that area and head to bedding. And so he's going to be in transition. So if I can get him right there where he's at and put the pressure on him, and he will defend if you get too close and rake and stomp. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, it depends on the bulls. If I get a bull, man, you see, this is what I'm trying to show you is there's no one thing. There's not one thing that all you have to do is this. If I get a bull and he bugles back and I start moving in and I call and he won't say anything. I'm just going to give you an instance of things that have happened to me many, many times over the years <clears throat> is, is, is I get that bull right there. He answered right back and he was defensive, but he won't say anything now. And I'm creeping in. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he's going to be interested in cow calls. It's like September the 1st, you know, September the 3rd. It's still early. So I throw the cow calls, nothing. So I move in a little bit more, move in. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm within 150, 200 of where he is. So what am I going to do? Well, my best plan of attack on a bull like that is to start calming down with it. Just let him know that the intruder is there because he won't say anything back. But yet I still need to pull him over my way. So now what I do is I still try to get in with that 150, 175. I could care less about being inside of 100. Always understand. You always see on the Internet and you see magazines come out and say, for best results, get inside 100 yards. Who hasn't heard that? That is only... And I will repeat this only on aggressive bulls. Non-aggressive bulls, don't do it. Don't get inside that 100. Stay back. Get back that 150, 175. And now what I normally do is I'll give some subtle cow calls and start raking. I will not bugle that bull. He doesn't, you see, he can't size me up. He has no idea who I am. He can't, he, you know, they know each other by sound, sight, and smell. How is he going to identify me? If I pant or maybe even give a couple of guns and all I do is rake, he can't identify me. He does. He can't size me up and it, and it really gets to him. And especially when I keep hitting those cow calls, I keep hitting the cow calls and you start raking and raking and I'll mix the cow calls up. Sometimes I'll, I'll double them. You know, a lot of guys, you'll hear them kind of go. Well, a lot of times when those cows get annoyed, you'll hear them go. And they'll just make odd little noises. And I just keep raking and raking. And sometimes I'll start panting because I love panting because anytime you use a pant, it denotes excitement.
for the situation you're presented with. And this is why you have to know what each one of these sounds represent. And so I'll just kind of go... And just keep raking. So she is showing excitement for this for this cow that he's in. It's almost like saying it's it's little parts of the slow play without going through the whole thing for 20 minutes. Is is this is what I'm demonstrating right there? And sometimes I'll even give a couple of little glunks. And when I'm doing it, I'm usually doing it with either my tongue inside my mouth or I like one. And I'm doing that with my lips as like like I'm spitting a hair off of them. Just kind of a, and, the, and and when I'm doing it with my tongue inside, because you you have to understand, once you get an elk's attention, don't you think he can't hear this at 175 yards? Oh, he hears it. And I'll kind of go, so you see, so I'll mix those little things up, maybe with a, with a, with a pant, and keep raking, and keep raking. You see, it, it, I, I'm showing some excitement. I'm showing the, the, the fact that I possibly even have a cow here coming into heat. And, 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 and when I play in that, for a bull, that's not saying much. Hardly nothing whatsoever. More times than not, I will get him to come over silent. He'll start sneaking over and coming and coming. And I can hear him walking. Or I can hear his rack hitting branches. And he's coming over. Because he doesn't know if that's one of his cows or not. He, you know, if he has cows there. The point is, is you plant that seed on those bulls that aren't just hammering you back. Now, if I were to go in there, and that bull would bugle me two or three times, and I'm 500 yards away... And I'm moving in on him, not calling. I'm just moving in on him. And he answers several times because he wants to know where I'm at. That is a bull I'm going to advertise to. As soon as I get right on top of him, I'm going to try to get in that 150 yard or so. Right there, right in there. He's not being really aggressive, but he's aggressive enough that when I get in there and I start displaying right there in front of him, he won't go for it. He will come right over. It's even deadlier in the, in the, in the bedding area. And the reason I say that is because he's where he's going to be the next eight hours of the day. He's not leaving. You're trying to make something happen real quick here in that first half hour of day, like I mentioned in the beginning, because he's not going to stay there long. He's going to be in transition going from his, his, his feeding to his bedding area. Even if his bedding area isn't even a quarter mile away, he will still make way. And if you hit, hunt a lot of thick country like we do, you're going to find that their bedding area, their feeding area, their watering area is all within earshot. They're not traveling two miles, three miles away like open country elk where sagebrush and, and maybe sparse uh, aspens. And you'll see these elk travel a long distance to go from feeding to bedding. But not in heavier country, country where calling is really, uh, uh, you know, the fun way to do it and, and important to do it because you're not seeing them. You have to get them vocally to give themselves away. So now I know where you're at, and now you're trying to work up a tactic that fits that strategy. But if I got a bull that's just screaming and bugling, he has a hot cow, yes, I'm going to get inside that 100. I'm going to try to get closer than the other satellites are, and I'm going to suck him in. Nine times out of ten, I don't usually go right in and challenge him. I try to call the cows away. And what I'm trying to do is call the hot cow. I could care less about the whole group. I just want the hot cow. And so as soon as I do that, I'm sure you've heard me talk about it. But it's so important to call that cow away. Because that's what gets his dander up. My guy, he won't go for it. And when he knows you're directing your sounds to her, not to him, until he responds. And he will. The second you try to call that cow away, he is going to respond immediately with a very defensive bugle and, and and I can either ignore it and keep trying to call call the cow or 
I can respond to it. And usually when I do, I just growl at him. I let him know to shut up, stay, stay away, and back off. I just kind of... And I'll do that with my voice right through the bugle and then go right back trying to call the cow. And if you've ever heard bulls uh, try to call the cow, <clears throat> it all depends on the bull and how worked up he is. And, and some bulls will come in kind of nonchalant and, and, and they may try to call the cow and they'll have that little hollow sound. And when they are, they walk in, they kind of go. <laughs> and that's what they'll do. They're not talking to him. They're talking to the cow. And they may start like that, but believe me, that's not how it ends. That's what they'll start. Some bulls will come in and they'll cow call first. And I've sat there and watched him. It is so cool to watch him come in and he's going like this. He's going. <coughs> and he just gives a, a short little whistle right behind it. You see? And as he gets going, and if this thing starts carrying into two or three minutes, you'll start seeing him going to the lip ball where he's insistent and demanding that cow to come because he doesn't want to fight the bull. And at the same time, there's probably two or three challenges going back and forth as I'm trying to call the cow and trying to challenge the bull to the point telling him, you better stay back or else. And that's exactly what he's telling you. Now, if that bull starts coming to me, and, and many times he does, because there's no way he's going to let that cow come. Because I am talking to the cow. He knows when I'm talking to him, and he knows when I'm talking to the cow by the sounds I'm using. He's not stupid. They go through this, you know, through on September and October every single year. And because of the fact that I've understood these sounds and how they work and, and which one really gets them, I usually will, the timing is everything. As soon as I see his dander getting up and he is cutting me off and I know now he's at 100, maybe he's even a hair closer, but it's thick. That's when I hit him with the full send challenge. That's all in the video. I show you how I step right into the whole entire process from start to finish. And when I hit him with this sound, more times than not, and guys, I kid you not, this is a dead bull almost every time. As soon as I get him and I've set him up, I've called, 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 worked him up, calling the cows, telling him to stay back. But he's coming in because he's is going to be the defense mechanism between me and that cow. Is Here's what I hit him with. I just kind of go... <coughs> And sometimes I'll go ahead and give a couple of hard grunts, maybe even a pant before I hit that, because pants show excitement, you see, and I may just heave through it, and then hit him with the hard, uh, nervous type grunt, and a scream, and when I do, normally, I'm telling you, all you hear is hooves, running, running, he is so pissed, and I mean, he is just right at you, and I'm telling you, there is no funner thing, I don't know how much you've ever spot and stalked a bull, but when you had that happen to you one time, it will trade 10 spot and stocks in a heartbeat. Because when he comes, it will rattle and, uh, and unravel the, the, the best elk hunter. I mean, just turn you into mush. It is so exciting. Ask my son. I've called a lot of bulls in for him doing that. And it's just like, he can't, he can't even say a word. And he kills a bull. And I mean, it's just incredible uh, adrenaline rush when a bull charges you like that. And it, it, I mean, it is so exciting. I'm not telling you, I get goosebumps just doing it right now because I, I, we're getting so close to September. Oh, why aren't we ever? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's what you hunt elk for, right? Like that's the excitement, the bugle. Like you said, you can't wait to hear the first bugle of the year. Probably go for out sure. late August, see if you can hear one. Like that's always the play. Well, we're on the, yeah. the bugling topic a lot here, and I had a question or, or a bit of a, uh, yeah, I guess a question for you is, 
I've heard you say like over evaluator. Um, so I look at that and interpretation of sounds. And I know like from what you've said already, like killing a lot of bulls and being in there is going to, and being out in the elk woods is going to give you more chance than ever to interpret some of these bugles. Is there a bugle that you should always be keying in on? I know like the app goes over it and I've, I always think about the, um, I think it's not the regathering, the, uh, what's the bugle you call it when the, the bulls like round gathering up? is the roundup bugle. Yeah. And like that, I kind of want to know if he's doing that. Cause that means we got to move and we got to try to stop him. Or is there a certain bugle that we should always be looking for and really acting on aggressive ones? Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. Now, if you got a roundup bugle from a bull, uh, usually you're already in trouble. Yeah, a roundup is let's get the crap out of here right now. There's something wrong. Whether he saw you, a cow saw you, and she's now making her way back to the herd. Because, you know, a cow will alert a group real fast. She can either have her neck stretched out real proud and she walks right through the group. It's as bad as a bark. Or she goes through the same group and she has her ears pinned all the way back. And she's just knifing right through them. And that is a warning. Get out of there now. And a lot of times as the bull sees this, he will give that short round. See, anytime a bull, a roundup bugle is fast. There's no messing around. You notice how uh, we're giving a location bugle and it kind of streams out. And, and, and even a, a challenge, it, it, it has that big aggressive note at the end and it can carry out a little bit. But not a roundup. When you hear him come go real quick, kind of a... That's what you're, you're in trouble. When he comes back with that, and I'm not talking about engaging where you went back and forth a half a dozen times. When you hear that out of nowhere, right there, you're in trouble. He's gathering his harem. He's getting him real quick. And he may even throw a lip ball in it, showing urgency, demanding, right now, take action. And when that happens, right off the get-go, without really hardly no interaction, you've been seen or smelled, one or the other. Or you've hit him in his transition area, and he just won't have any part of it. He's gone. But if you, that's why I keep trying to tell people, get him in the bedding area. That's where you kill them all. That's where we kill them all, no matter where we hunt. That's where our buddies kill them all. We get them in the bedding area because you have a captive audience. They have no desire to leave that area for hours unless they see you or smell you. And that's where all these tactics, more, more than not, that's where I will come into play with them. And, 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 and when you got the satellites around, you know, I use the breeding sequence because I can suck those in. I'm not going to usually pull the herd bull in. I'm going to pull the satellites in. But if I'm, if I'm after the herd bull, then I have to use tactics that are designed for him, not the satellites. So when I'm getting closer to that 100 yards, you see I'm no longer messing with those satellites. No, I, I'm inside of them. I'm, this is me and the bull or me trying to call his cows away. You know, whatever design you want to do. But by, by being not vocal enough, that's usually a big mistake people will make. You can't go in there and make one or two bugles. You know, you're going to trade bugles. You're going to have him cut you off. You're going to cut him off. And, and, and that's when you get in with the full sand. And you're going to hear, if you don't do it quick enough, he's going to give you that first. He's going to hit you with that hard single grunt and a scream right over it. And if you notice he beat you to it, you got to hammer it right back. Because it's like drawing a line in the sand and telling him not to cross it. And when I hit him right back with it, the, one of the biggest bulls we've ever killed, which was just under 350, was with that exact thing. He hit me first with it. 
and I didn't want him to, but he did. And when I followed up and hit him with it, I mean, instantaneous, he came running in to 17 yards. And he was probably at 100, maybe 115, and he across an opening. And he just blew in. I mean, he was not going to take that in his area. This is his stomping grounds that we were in. And so when push comes to shove, you know, that's what that's what can happen. Another really huge bull my son killed, I don't know if you've seen it, where I called that one in and here in Idaho. And that was the same thing, and he shot that one at five yards. The bull just ran all the way to him. He thought he was going to run over him. It was a it was a self defense shot. He shot him right in, uh, underneath the neck and the chest as the bull was going to run right over him, coming to me. And I was only maybe fifteen yards behind Paul. It was a bench. I set him right on the bench, and I got below it. Perfect, all in the willows. I was raking, thrashing, screaming, and I could hear him just going crazy. And when I hit him with that full send challenge, he was still seventy-five yards, and he blew down the rest of that hill. Uh, you know, like hell, you're going to come in here and, and and treat me like this on my piece of ground. And, and and there's been a lot of bulls we killed like that, but a couple of those really come to mind because they were so close when they came in and were literally going to run over somebody. And, and 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 so you know you you need to know when to use those things. You got to get them fired up first. If they're not fired up and you can run run in there and do that, hey, you ain't gonna accomplish much. It's not gonna work. You, you know, it's just like you have to have you have to know when to use that slow play. You have to know when to use the uh, a full send challenge or a breeding sequence or an advertising and build them up. The bull I killed two years ago, September the second. You would never think they were going to say much but if we had that bull bugling at least 12 times just all, all in a row just, he was so mad because we caught him in his bedding area and we actually followed him to it by his sound he was bugling his way to his bedding area and we got into that 150 yards within 90 seconds he came into 25 yards and i put an arrow right through his lungs and he was dead he didn't go anywhere but and it was a really nice six point bull but because i got in his bedding area if i would have done it prior to that in the transition it would have been dog and dog and he would have screamed. I would have, he might have even shut up. I don't know where he would have went. But so see, it, 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 it's very time specific to use the right tones and emotion for the elk that you are working. So I think uh, since we're talking a little bit about call setup and, and having these bulls come in that close, uh, let's go over and so for our listeners and for us, maybe a, your calling setup, maybe some do's and don'ts over the years that I know I've made some mistakes on. Um, can you kind of run us through just first your call setup with a two-person system, usually you and your son? Like, what's the distance? What do you guys, do you have signals? Do you look at each other? Like, how does that work? No, we really don't have anything like that because of the fact that when we do set up, we're hoping the bull is going to come in from the direction that he's supposed to, you know, and, and in most cases he does. Sometimes the shooter will have to move in, in most cases he doesn't, but I can re remember a couple of handfuls over the years where not just my son, I've called for a lot of people, but sometimes you ha you'll, you'll, you'll hear the bull or you can hear him vocally or you can hear him walking or parting the brush as he's coming through and he's not coming the direction we needed him to. Sometimes as the caller, I have to move. And, and in most cases, when I'm hunting the thick country, rarely are we more than 40 yards apart, hardly ever. When I'm working a herd bull and I know he's a mature herd bull, we're usually in the 20, 25 yard range, very close because he's good. He's coming to run the caller over. That's exactly what he's doing. That, that is his number one thing in life. And I will tell you this, that 
nearly every single bull that we call in, whether it's a herd bull or it's a satellite, they rarely ever try to get the wind in their favor. They could care less. They're coming the shortest route. And I think that the reason for that is there's no suspicion that has been arose and arisen there. You see, and I think that's what a lot of people have issues with. When you have more bulls than not that try to circle you, you did something wrong. And, and, and people think, oh, we have to set up because bull's going to come in downwind. Well, you shouldn't. You want the shortest direction. That's how he's usually going to use it. And so will cows and smaller bulls. All of them do. I, I mean, it is such a rare occasion for a bull to try to come around us. I can't hardly even remember the last one that did it. It is, it is so far out there. So if you have any movement or your sounds just don't fit the situation, that is when they start going to their nose to trust them that it's not a possible threat out there. But if you do your part and you fit in and you give them the sounds they expect to hear right then and there and they don't catch your movement or your wind, they're coming right at you. I mean, with all these elk we kill, I'm telling you, most of them all come straight at us, the, you know, the shortest route. And so to me, that's very important. Thick country, 40 yards are your, is usually the max. I want to see my shooter almost every time. If I can't, it's just the way it goes. And I'm just trying to read everything from what I'm hearing and, and, and from past experiences. But in most cases, if I can see the shooter, then I can see his behavior. I can see if he's tensing up. I can see if he's starting to draw or he's pivoting his body left or right. I can tell that, oh, oh something's coming right there and I don't even hear it. But he, he, I can tell by his body language. And so I try to keep up the sounds or move left or right if I have to, to try to redirect the bull. If it looks like he's going all, he's turning to the right or to the left. Maybe he's, he's not coming in where I thought. Now, if the bull's bugling his way in, that's a no-brainer because you can hear it you don't really need to see him but i always like seeing the shooter almost every single time i can i don't i don't want him to get out of my sight because i can't read the situation then if if the bull's slipping in silent i can read my shooter though it's just as well as seeing the bull so that's really really important to me now when i have hunted more open country i mean it's not uncommon to get out there 60 to 100 yards uh we've never used a decoy so you know, I believe the wrong person to ask, should you use a decoy? I know you didn't ask that, but a lot of people do. And I think the reason we don't use them is because we don't like putting ourselves in the spot where an elk can see too far away and be out of our bow range and know they should see the source of the calling. So we intentionally do setups where elk can only come in and they're in range before they can see anything or they think they should see something. By then they're dead. And, and, and that's a very huge thing when we're setting up is that we have to make sure we have a shooting lane. We don't need 10 shooting lanes. We just need to make sure that we have a lane open that we're right where we think he's going to come. Because most of the time we're calling elk in, there's no trail right there. When people set up, and you have to remember this even for yourselves, when you're setting up for elk, you're generally trying to bring them to a spot they had no intention of going to. Nothing. There's not a trail leading them right to the collar. You set up because the terrain is just right. The cover is good. I'm behind a rock. I'm below a bench. There's no elk trail running down to you. If there is, wonderful. You have that to your advantage. But remember, nine times out of ten, you are bringing something to you that he was not going to come over to that spot. So it's up to you and the shooter to be able to uh, manipulate things so that the shooter can see and he doesn't want to be behind things. I like getting next to things. I'll even get in front of them if it's just not an open field in front of me. You know, if I have enough breakup 
uh, I, I will do that, but I prefer having, I'm a right-handed person, so I prefer having my shoulder bumped up against something, brush, tree, tree branches, even if I have to duck under them, whatever. That's my preference when, when, it, when it is allowed. And usually it does allow it because I hunt thick enough country, I can pick anywhere I want to go stand. But I usually will not get behind things where it's going to hinder my draw or shot branches everywhere. But yet I'm well hidden. Who wants that? You know, that doesn't do you any good. But biggest thing of all, you got to draw before that bull sees any movement. You have to draw in advance. And, and, and how far is that? Who knows? Because, you know, every situation could be different from where he's coming in. But I usually will see the elk coming or pieces of him coming through and i'll look to see the direction he's going uh it's like the bull uh, i was talking about i shot him september the second i saw that bull coming from 80 yards now you think oh that's pretty open uh no there was no shot i could just see pieces as he was coming through he was so mad he was just screaming on his way in as my son was calling and we were only like 25 yards apart either one of us could have killed that bull because when that bull finally came in he got right between us that's right where he stopped, and Paul could have killed him as easy as I, I, I could have. But the thing was, is as that bull came through, I watched him. Once he hit 40 yards, I saw a patch of trees there, and I thought, as soon as he hits that, I'm drawing right now. And so I drew right there, and as soon as he came through, I had a window. It was three or four feet. I, I said, as soon as he hits that window, I'm going to nervous grunt him. I had a reed in my mouth, and, and, and all I do is kind of go, Anything like that makes no difference of what it sounds like. Anything. And it'll just stop him. And as soon as he hit that spot, I was getting ready to stop him as he's walking pretty quick. And there was a depression in the ground. I couldn't even see it from where I was. And all I could see was the top of his back. And uh, if I would have stopped him right there, I had nothing. And But it looked like it was level ground. But you know what I mean? The train can fool you in those distances. And right then he was probably 30, but I was going to kill him there anyway because that's not a big deal. Well, my brain raced. Because when I saw him, his back, you know, that was all. There was no shot. I'm thinking ahead now. What, what's up here? He's still moving, you know, and so on. Man, my eyes are racing forward trying to think, okay, I need the next little thing. I, I didn't have that all played out. I didn't know it was going to be like that. And as soon as I saw the next opening to my right, I thought, okay, I'm going to stop him right there. So I was getting ready to stop that bull. And as he walked and got into the window, what I couldn't see there was a big log. And he stopped at the log to step over it. Well, that's perfect. And that's right where I drilled him. So I didn't have to stop him, but a lot of times I do. So a lot of times you're in these setups or in these situations. Man, don't lose it. Don't 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 lose your focus or get so, you know, baffled like, oh no, that's not where what, you know, I thought I was gonna get him right there. You know, keep your composure and things you usually will still play out. Uh, you know, and it did that day, but as far as setups and stuff, man, have the shooter see the caller, call, or I mean the caller see the shooter. Uh, thick terrain, 40 yards is usually the max. You know, if you feel comfortable because the situation says I can get out to 50 or so, I guess you can do it. But I still want to see the shooter. But most of the time, of all the elk that we kill, it's usually 40 yards or closer in timbered country uh, that our setup is. So uh, kind of talking callers and setups still, when uh, I've heard you mention switching callers uh, depending on maybe a different tactic to go after a bull. So like one guy's call and it didn't quite work and then Kurt and I would switch. Like is that something you use as like a just another play in the book? Yeah, it's either that or you have to have another read with you that is wore out. And then you will never sound like yourself. So when we have a situation where 
again, two years ago, I called this bull in at 12 yards for my grandson. Six point. 12 yards. You think he's going to kill it. My son was so busy videoing, he didn't tell him to draw. Which, I mean, you know, he's 12 years old. You know, you just don't think of those things. And why he didn't say, all right, Trey, you got to draw. You got to draw. He's coming in. He didn't. And he's sitting there videoing the whole thing, and the bull walks right in. And I'm calling. I could just see the tops of them. I couldn't see the bull. I could see my son and my grandson. Because I was just behind something where I could just barely see him, but the bull was out there. I saw it all on video after it was over. And, you know, it, it, it's things like that right there. And uh, you, you just – what was your question right there again? Well, I know I get carried No, away. it's all right. Just uh, yeah, I think you were kind of telling us, like, you called him in. And then uh, I've heard you mention, like, switching callers. Oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. Switching the caller. We messed that one up right there because Trey didn't draw. He ended up drawing after the bull ran and stopped at 30 yards, and he didn't feel comfortable with the shot, so he, he didn't shoot. So once we messed up that bull right there, I knew the bull already knew my sound. He wasn't going to allow me to call him in for at least three more days. In three days or so, they, they usually lose all mentality of what took place. People think they learn things and, 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 and remember them year to year. Yeah, right. They don't. They have about a three-day memory, and that's it. And, so, and you can come right back at them. But this was still the same day. So I told Paul, we knew where this bull wanted to bed. We knew the area. We knew where the area he should bed. We didn't know his bedding, you know, spot. But we knew the approximate. So I told Paul, I said, all right. I said, you're going to have to do the calling this time. He already knows my voice, and, and, and that's just how we're going to do it. So we get up there. It was about an hour and a half or two went by. So we crept up the mountain to about where we thought he might be. And Paul stayed below about 250 yards, and Trey and I crept up another 100 in this particular, uh, two more benches. And Paul proceeded to call that bull right in and lit him up, got him bugling and bugling, and Paul made a really good move on that. Uh, and, and again, that bull only came in because of the fact that we switched callers. But that bull ended up walking into 30 yards. Uh, Trey ended up wounding him, shot him. We didn't find him. Uh, I was standing right next to him. I was only a foot away from him when he shot. I saw the shot. I didn't like it. It was just, I mean, 30 yards. He should have been able to pinwheel him easy, but he just got excited. Uh, but other than that, it, it's a perfect situation. But I've also, within minutes, called a, a second bull, a, the same bull in before. Uh, because of the fact I still had him riled. Called him in once. Um I, you know, and again, I'm just trying to go over these things because it depends on the situation that you're in. We were still right where that bull was. Paul, actually, you might have heard the podcast on it. I gave it, uh, I think, last year where he shot the bull with a with a longbow, and he, sh he and he and he shot him through the skin on one side of the leg, and it stuck into the leg on the other side. Well, I called that bull back in 45 minutes later, and Paul killed him. And so we got the broadhead. It was stuck in the in the off leg. And yeah, can you believe that? I called him back in so, in forty-five minutes. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta ask question on that because, like, I'll quit, and this is like probably a, a, one of my mistakes, and then a lot of our hunting mistakes. If I don't, if they stop calling, or the, maybe I hear them kind of trot off, and there's no like major alert, I'll be like, oh, I blew that one, can't do it. If I shot at something, I would assume that it's over. Like I can't. So you gotta walk us through. Like, yeah. what was your? How do you not quit at that moment? Because I knew he didn't see either, either one of us. It was really thick, and I, I, I slow played the bull. Uh, I, I, we got into the area. It was September the 6th. I remember that. And uh, 
because it's the same year he killed that bull that was just under 350. He killed a couple bulls that year. And so on this particular one, which was another six point, I called this bull in using a slow play. We headed up the mountain, and I got one bugle out of him. And, and he was probably at least a quarter mile away when he answered me. And we moved in closer. It was just a very quiet day, nothing going on. And we moved up until I don't even know how far, because, you know, when they give one bugle and it's steep and it's thick, you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, he should be right there. I mean, you get up there and everything changes. And it's like, I'm not sure where he is. And so I, I thought, well, you know what? I heard him down there and he heard me. So I'm closer, so I know he can hear me. And I can remember uh, 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 just, you know how you test the waters with a few cow calls? Nothing. So I decided, okay, I'll go ahead and just rip a bugle off here and see what happens. Just to see. Nothing. So we've changed positions. We went ahead and moved maybe another 60, 70 yards, and we just sat there for a minute. Sat there like 10 minutes, just hoping he would say something. Because we didn't know where he was. Nothing. So I told Paul, I said, all right. We won't get too far apart. 30 yards, and I could barely see him. I said, I'm going to go through the slow play. It, I went through 15 minutes of that slow play. And you know how it goes. Uh, or there's a pause and going through the cow calls and the raking and the panting and the little growl and whatever it is I was going through the whole thing and 15 minutes into it he bugled and so you see you just never know and he finally and I knew he was there I knew dang well we never run him off he didn't even know he just thought we were elk but so what you know it wasn't a big deal and so I kept going through it and once he bugled I knew we had him I knew we had a chance at him and because that's like setting the hook and it was probably, I would say, maybe a couple of minutes later, I kept going with the cow calls because that's what he answered. And when I finally got him to answer the second one, that's when I, got, I went to the regathering. You, you see where you lengthen that time. And, 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 and hit three or four times. That's asking him to come over. As soon as I did it, he lit right up. And that's when I growled at him with the bull sound. I just kind of... Almost like a bear. You know, but bulls do it all the time. And... Once I got that going, I bet you that bull bugled at least 25 more times. He just started going nuts. And I just kept playing it out, playing it out, playing it out. And the next thing I know, I could see him coming down the mountain. And I mean, it's steep, really steep. And I could see him. I see his antlers coming all the way through. And I'm thinking, man, I hope Paul can see him. It's that thick. I mean, I can just see parts of Paul, and I see the bull coming to my right, and he starts swinging around, and he comes back to the left. He walks right in front of me. And in front of me, he's probably... Paul and I are kind of an angle, not just... He was like 30 yards from both of us. You know what I mean? He's, it's in one of those positions where he came, and I mean, I'm sitting there staring right at the bull, and I'm thinking, why isn't he shooting? Why isn't he shooting? And I'm sure there was stuff in the way that, uh, to some extent, but I had a clear shot at him. But I'm still hidden, and he doesn't know... The bull knows I'm there, but he can't see me. I'm not making any sounds now. And as, as soon as I'm sitting there, I'm just watching, watching. I, I hear the sound of the arrow fly. When it does, that bull just blows out of there. And, of course, I'm bugling and cow calling, trying to slow him down. And so I'm walking up to where my son was, kind of like with my arms out. You know, what? And he's shaking his head. And I'm like, uh-oh, what? He says, right when he came in, he says, I had a shot. And he moved a little bit more. And there was some branches right in front of him. And I thought, I can get this arrow right over. I know I can do it. And he thought the trajectory was going to be just right. And... When he shot, the arrow, the back of the arrow where the fletchings are, caught the branch and misguided it and 
went all the way up front. Like I said, we didn't know where he hit him exactly. He says, I'm not even sure where I hit him, but I know I hit him. So we waited there. The bull didn't bugle again. I bugled a few times, never made a sound, nothing. So I thought, well, okay. So we waited there maybe 20 minutes. Didn't move. Didn't know where he hit him. And so we walked up to where it was, and there was blood right there on the ground instantly. And I said, all right, we got some blood, but it's real red. It's like, it, it's like uh, uh, just meat shot, you know, there, no artery, no lung, nothing like that. Not the good stuff. And just like, like I cut my finger type of blood. That's it. And so we followed this. And it was really it, it was super thick. And we're following this thing for probably at least a half an hour. And I mean, just little specks, little specks. And that's when my son he heard a couple cows call. I didn't hear him. And he goes, there's a couple cows calling up above us. And I'm like, really? And he says, yeah. And I said, so I started listening really intense. I'll be dang, I did hear one. Just kind of a, yeah, just really slight. And I'm like, that's where he is. He's up there with those cows. I said, now I need to try to call the cows from him. And he goes, what? I, you're not going to call him in, and that, which I really <laughs> didn't think I was either, to be honest with you. And I said, yeah. I said, I'm not going to go challenge him. I said, we're going to try to call the cow away from him. Uh, call his cows, just period. Even though there was nothing in heat, I still t told him, I said, that's, that's my chance. I told him, I said, as soon as I get him this hard, aggressive lip ball, it's either going to work or they're gone. It's one or the other. And we are, from the blood we uh, were trailing up to that point, and it was still blood. I said, this guy is not dying. So I got him set up. I was just as thick a country as ever. Straight up. I mean, this bull is above a straight up. Probably uh, in elevation, literally another 200, 250 feet above us. Way up there. Not just straight out, but above us. And I thought, well, this is as good a place as any. You know, we'll, we'll see how he accepts it. So I set Paul up. And the first thing I did, I already knew he, he knew we were in the area because he had already came down and went up that there was a bull here let's put it that way and i just started raking and thrashing hard and i just screamed a lip ball and as soon as i did the woods went nuts with him he just started screaming and he ran right at me just running down the mountain screaming i screamed back and we were just trading screams i'm like now i don't see paul at all I, I, apparently he moved up a little bit anticipating about where this bull was going to come and as soon as he did I saw the bull coming right down at me I mean he is just running right at me and he probably runs to 25 yards and just screams as soon as he screams I hear whoosh, I hear the arrow fly and as soon as it flew it just blew up and he's running again now I see him turn around running up the mountain it's like what the I know he just shot at this bull twice now so I now I can't find Paul it's literally, and we're not very far apart. That's how thick this is. It's like Cambodia out there. I mean, it's just bad, 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 bad thick. And so I'm creeping up there and kind of giving a little cow calls, like, where are you? And I finally come over there, and he's just standing there smiling. And I'm like, what? What happened? And he looks at me, and it's straight up the mountain. And he says, you see that tree right up there? I said, yeah. He goes, look really close. And I see a rack just laying there. He goes, that's him. He's laying there dead. He's, I got him right there at 20-something yards. He came right in, coming right at you. And so I thought, it's got to be the same bull. And he goes, yeah, it's got to be. He goes, they look exactly like him. So when we get up there, sure enough, we find where the first arrow hit. Went right through, uh, like the brisket, all the way through the flesh. and stuck. It was stuck into the leg bone. That's how tough these guys are. And it was a Rothar snuffer. Do you know what that is? No. 150 grain, three-bladed, one-piece uh, broadhead. It's all, and it is huge. 
and it was stuck right into the bone. I mean, we had to dig it out and 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 pull it with a pair of pliers that we had. We had needle nose with us. Actually, it was a pair of it was like a Leatherman, and it was in there buried from that uh, longbow on the first shot. And he came down that mountain like there was nothing wrong with him, nothing. So you don't think elk aren't tough? And well, he wasn't Crazy. tough enough because Paul killed him on the second shot. But okay. there was a, a situation where I recalled that bull in with the same thing because not very much time went through. You see, and that was the difference. I, I'm going to have to, I had a scenario I wanted to ask you, and it, you're going to tell me, you're going to have to just be ruthless with me and what I did wrong here. But it kind of is similar, uh, I, well, similar to the fact that, like, I didn't know if we could keep pushing or, or what the tactic was to do it. So quick uh, example, we had a, a small herd bull bugling early morning. Uh, we could feel that they were transitioning to the beds. We tried to get in on him a couple times, wasn't working, so we gave him a bit of time. And then where we thought, same idea, thought where their beds were, okay, we'll go over top into there. The wind should be good right now, and we'll see if we can piss him off from his beds or start working him there. And we got him fired up, and then I was the shooter, and my partner was a little bit behind me, and this bull was coming straight up a creek draw, like actually coming up to us straight up he come over the top it's very thick country we were only 30 yards apart could barely see each other i could see glimpses of the bull through the brush he actually went closer to the collar than me didn't see him but like was probably 15 yards from him turned kind of wheeled back into the creek we stopped him and he bugled back at us and then we thought maybe we could pull him again well at that point we kind of lost his interest or didn't really know what to do when we got him in that close do you feel like you would give him a bit of time and maybe try to pursue it again if you know you didn't like alert him or really get him like with the wind didn't flip i mean 15 yards is awful i close. know it was wow. really close yeah. i mean that's a that's a tough one uh what what time of day was it about 10 10 in the morning so see so you already had him in his bedding area yeah so we played him into his bedding area and then waited him out like we knew he was transisting there and then walked in kind of getting close and then started calling him and we pulled him up out of there yeah you and did we had him but as at that point we know we did like the right thing you get a bull into 15 yards not, yeah like the, the, that part was good our setup was a little bit poor but only because hindsight oh i wasn't on the right lane oh i wasn't you know in the exact spot do you gotta leave him alone at that point if or do you can you wait him out and, and pursue him again yeah, you know, that's a tough one because he got up there and didn't see anything that he thought he should have been. And yeah. do you think anybody else had hunted him that year? Yeah, afterwards. We were probably the first ones. This no, before early. that. Uh, Yeah, we had probably called him in once or we had been on him a couple times. Yeah, see, that's a big mistake right there. You know, you got to kill that guy. It's like I, 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 I said on, on a lot of, uh, you know, podcasts and whatnot. Your best opportunity on a mature bull is you got to kill him the first time. You start messing with him a second and a third and a fourth, and your your odds for success keep going down, 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 down. He, he starts understanding who you are. He'll know who you are. He'll know your bugle. He'll know everything about you. And guess what? He'll answer you almost every time, but he will not come back in. And that's why it, it's really good in most cases to use another caller. Or you get a reed that's broken down. 
I carry that reed with me now. And when I when you, when I do use it, it sounds like a laryngitis bull complete. It doesn't sound anything like I do. Nothing, not even remotely close. And so by introducing an, another sound, but not from the same spot, a lot of times I can regenerate that interest and get, and suck him in, especially if I have him where he wants to be. But you didn't do anything wrong right there other than maybe the setup. The setup, which I've said a hundred times, number your number one success for calling elk in close repeatedly, consistently is good calling. Number two failure is bad setup. Out of all the things you can think of, those that's one and two setups may have guys lose more elk than 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 anything else, other than bad calling uh, or not knowing what to do uh, with calls. Just it, you you know. Calling is so important, uh, you know, and, and maybe the guy that was doing the calling was just going through bull sounds. You know, I can remember a time when my son was trying to call this bull in for Clayton, which was a good friend of ours. <clears throat> and I was right next to my son and, I, and we had tra- he had traded bugles with this bull and we are looking at the bull. This bull is about 75 yards away and Clayton's shooting a recurve. <clears throat> and so Clayton was with Paul and as he was calling over there, I slipped in real close I said, you need to get in about another 15 yards. I said, and this time, I said, you need to pant. Pant three or four times and then scream right over the top of it. I said, that can make the difference. Okay, Paul was probably 18, 19 years old then. And so he crept in with Clayton. I stayed back, not saying anything. He gave three or four pants. I mean hard pants through his and screamed. And when he did, and we had already been there, I bet you a half an hour with this bull. And here he came. He ran into Clayton under 10 yards for his shot. And so you see what I mean? A lot of times, if your caller doesn't understand some of the sound things he can use uh, to to infuriate a bull, if he doesn't understand the meaning behind him, it, it's just like a lot of times, if I have to pant, sometimes I have to give this sound right here, and it just kicks their butt. I'll go something like this. Kind of a... And that's it. Sometimes two or three of them. But I mean, no more bugle than that. That's it. And I mean, they hate that. When a bull does that, you see, I mean, that's serious stuff to a bull when he comes in with that low sound like that. And especially if you'll throw a couple of pants before it or after it and just show the excitement behind it. Mix it up. Don't be like Joe Blow Hunter or yourself or somebody else that had been in there previous. You've got to be an elk at these times. I mean, just to go in there and give cookie cutter classic TV bugles. I mean, they get so used to that stuff, and, and especially if these elk have been hunted. You have to be different. You know, you really got to raise the bar on these guys. And when you're going to use a cow sound, you got to talk to them. You got to use that contact buzz. You have to know when to use their regathering mute. You can't just go in there and give cow sounds. I don't care how wonderful they sound, because a, a normal cow sound doesn't ask assistance or a reaction from elk. It asks nothing. It just says there's an elk there. So you have to change your, your tone or your emotion to it that when you're trying to get them to react to a situation. You see, that's the key. That's why when, you have a, a, when you're using a slow play and he answers the cow call, that's when you go to the regathering mew. And once you get him set up and you're challenging him, telling him to stay away with the bull sounds, that's when you go to the contact buzz, which is insistent that she's choosing that bull over there over the one she's with. This is the one she'd rather have. Uh, to because she's coming into heat this is the one she'd rather be with and this is how you do it you play the game and I tell you it's just like using advertising bugles right when you get in their bedding area it just kicks their butt so, uh, and when I'm doing that I don't use any cow sounds 
this isn't a slow play it's a much faster uh, uh, session of sounds that it works and a lot of times it's hard for me to explain if I'm right there in this situation I know I'm gonna do this this or this real quick there's no hesitation in my mind like okay what am I gonna do here I, I used to be that way but not anymore after being in thousands of encounters usually you have a pretty high percentage of what is going to work with this animal and and the app will help you there if people would study the app and not just read it like you said it's like the bible you study it you start listening to and watching how detailed i am in every one of these little instances and you start seeing how the pieces of the puzzle fit and it's like oh that's why i would do this instead of this and, and, and when I do this, I have to make sure I follow the, the, the recipe. I don't just take, oh, there's five ingredients here, and I just throw them all in at once. No, I have to do this one, then this one. And that's why the, the information is there. And that's why also I took a lot of this same information and put it in video form. And now you're hearing me and watching me. Here is the, and, and going through the sounds instead of just reading that I'm going to use this sound or that sound. Now I'm showing you, and I'm, I'm in the woods with a lot of it, and I'm showing you as I'm going through it, and I'm showing you my setup. It's so important. You're going to notice in these videos, we did some videos on there that are purely on setup, nothing else. Showing you, okay, collar shooter. All right, now say I'm a lone hunter. I have videos on that. If I'm solo, I have now. I have now. I have to play both roles. I have to be shooter and caller all at once. So here's how I'm doing it. Here's how I'm predetermining where I'm going to run to if I have a bull that's talking to me. And so I go through it all. And so we show you also if there's two people. So you know when you go to to those videos and you start seeing how. You, it's in your eyes now you're watching instead of trying to have a mental picture you're actually physically going to see how I'm doing this and and how we're doing it as a whole so I hope all these things will not only help you but it'll also answer a lot of the questions that you might have as well as your listeners because man I tell you you know the old saying a picture is worth a thousand words it's so much easier sometimes to to watch something as opposed to reading it but that doesn't mean to ignore the content that written content along with the videos i mean it's a game changer guys it will help you immensely well i definitely know that listening to you changed my entire elk hunting strategy like we mentioned kind of before like when i first heard that one podcast on uh cody rich it just it clicked and I could think back all the scenarios that I had over the years of why I didn't get a bull killed or mess ups. And I'm like, well, that's, I did exactly that what I shouldn't have done. And then when Devin and I started putting well, piece in deal. it together, you know, a it lot just, of times, it changed everything all for it us. is, is a little piece. It's not like you're changing the way you hunt, it, it, you know, to some people maybe, but most people, all you're doing is just making a little change. And that's why I talk about, putting a piece of the puzzle together that's all a lot of the other things you're doing are absolutely spot on you couldn't do them any better but it's just sometimes those little missing links and 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 when you do see it it's like how did i not think of that my gosh i would have had a truckload of elk already by then a lot of times that's the thing that hits you right there it's just the simplest things absolutely but you know it comes from experience and and that's why hopefully you know podcasts like this and the app it, it'll help you know shorten that learning curve and and and, and help people to uh, uh become successful quicker and that's why i do this i you know and i've said this before and I, ne I never told you guys this but the reason i started doing all this is because originally there was nobody out there to help me 
And let me tell you, coming from a non-hunting family, how much greener could you be in California and never being in the mountains at all and coming to where I am today? And so I know what it was like when it was my son and I, and I was started studying for elk before he was even, way before he was 12, I was in my 20s. And, and by the time it got to that point, I've seen over the years how much enjoyment I've had and the bond that I've had with him. And my other kids have hunted too. But the thing is, is to be able, and now I look back on how precious these moments are and how they were back then and how we built those memories. And I realized that even after 10 or 15 years of hunting, and now this will be our 32nd year of hunting that my son and I have never missed an opening day of elk season together, never, since he was 12 years old. And so those moments to me are so special that I want other people to enjoy it. And like when I started, not everybody has that self-motivation where, oh, I'm going to do this. I've always been that guy. You can tell how hyper I am. I'm just, I get excited over something. And I have a passion for elk. And, and, and I know there's a lot of people out there like me, but they don't have a direction. They don't know how to do it or what's their next move. But yet they still want to hunt with family members and friends, you know, including their wives. And so I told, you know, my own family, I want other people to enjoy what we're doing right here. I mean, it's just like, I don't see how it can get any better. Put the video games away. Put all this other garbage. You know, I know we all have to live. Don't get me wrong. But for those of us that want to hunt, that enjoy it that much, and I'm not trying to recruit new hunters here. I'm trying to say for these people that already hunt, let's make the best of it. Let's take the, any information we can get out there, shorten our learning curve. And yeah, even if we fail, but if we call elk in and we, and, and we see some success in there, man, oh man, that's like golfing 18 holes, 17, and you do no good, and you birdie the last hole. And it's like, oh, it's going to get me to come back. It really will. Even though you suck at golf, I do. But I mean, <laughs> if you do, the, it's little things like that that spark you. And so if we can do this and channel people's interest and show them, learn this and learn that, you know, through the sounds and, 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 and understand it's just not about a camping trip and trodding around out there and, and hope something falls into your lap, that you can actually do things yourself to up your odds for success and to instill and enjoy that camaraderie with your family and with your friends. And that is how I started doing all this. It never at any time ever came to my mind was, how much money can I make? I could care less. I already had a job. I was a masonry contractor. It wasn't about money. It led to where the money was made. Don't get me wrong. But my whole goal has always been to try to help people. It's like you guys right here. Do I get anything for this podcast? No. <laughs> how could I care less about that? And I've done, I've done well over 100 of them. And how many seminars have I went out? I mean, way over 100. And you don't get paid for this. It's because you love doing it so much that you enjoy it. And, and the only thing I can say is I keep doing the podcast, but the thing that has come to full circle is that, yes, the app costs, what, six, seven dollars, eight, whatever it is, is, it is going to help you though. It, it, and, and if it was all about money, I would be like some of these other guys that are charging a hundred dollars for, but I don't. It's worth and it. So because I'd pay it. No, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just that it, it, it's not, it, it's that people that put the app together, yeah. <laughs> it costs a lot of money to do that. You know, this is on your iPhones and your Androids. This costs money to do it. And so it, we have to cover all of that. And, yes, we do make some money off it. Don't get me wrong. But nothing like it could. And I don't care about that. I want to be able to help people. You should see the emails and phone calls and the PMs I get. I mean, it's just hundreds if not thousands a year. And anybody that's ever done one, 
Everybody will know I have never not answered one. Not a single one. I answer every one of them. And they call me right during hunting season. I'm on the mountain myself or I'm at camp. And I have calls just coming in. We're in an, we're in an encounter right now, and I'm not sure what to do. I get this all the time. No way. And, and, and you know what? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. We're right there, and I can hear the bull bugling. <laughs> and I, okay, what's going on? Here's, okay, here's what you try to do right here. And so I will help them. Absolutely. You, you, better, send I, us your, you better send us your in-reach number so we can have that when we're, when <laughs> Nobody's we're fucking ever done up this that. fall. <laughs> It's if they have my, everybody has my cell number oh, because yeah. it's online everywhere. I try. I, that's what I mean is I will help. This doesn't cost a penny when people call me. Nothing. A lot of people do. They think that a credit card has to be used and they call me and we talk for an hour. No, not at all. Nothing, period. I will help you as much as I can because I absolutely love talking and hunting elk. And if I can help you, I will be more than happy to do it. Absolutely. So. That's just who I am. So I am nobody different than that, you know. And I, I, myself, I don't know how many Septembers I have left at 67. But I hope I have a handful left. You just never know these days. But if I can help somebody, and even if I can't go out myself because of physical inability, so far that's not the case. I want to just keep in the elk game and, and, and assisting people and sharing the information that I've acquired over the last 40 years. And and hopefully it helps them you know that's the bottom line right there yeah no you saying you're getting excited to help people and, and you know get people more involved or learn more i mean honestly paul every august well right now even late as soon as summer starts switching and i can feel fall coming it's honestly like the month of paul it's like <laughs> i'm not kidding it's the podcasts are on i'm studying i'm calling it and i'm excited you get us fired up uh that's why we wanted to have you on yeah, you definitely light the fire uh, in a bunch of us who hunt elk up here, and we love what you do. No, thank you very much. I appreciate those words. Well, I don't think uh, we want to take too much more of your time. I mean, we could sit here for probably three more hours and keep talking scenarios and just listen to all the encounters you had, but we really appreciate you taking the time out of your night, and uh, yeah, we wish you all the best this hunting season and, and hope to get you on again when you when you have some other tidbit or just a great story to tell. <laughs> All right, we can do that. No, thank you very much, and I enjoyed being with you guys here this evening. Thanks. I came from the mud dirt on my hands Strong like a tree There's roots where I stand Oh, I've been Catch me howling at the moon